We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, BlueWire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with BlueWire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! Hello and welcome to another BuzzBeat podcast. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped, Deal Dash, and Bet Online. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian today on a special episode with the Charlotte Observer's Rick Bennell. We had the opportunity to discuss James Borrego, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk's future, and what the league will do with these eight teams that weren't invited to Orlando. We also wanted to shout out our listeners and our Slack channel for providing some inspiration for some of these questions that we asked today. Again, if you wanted to get in on our conversation on the Slack app, all you have to do is send us your review on Apple Podcasts to our Twitter's DM. That's at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter. We've had some great conversations on Slack since we started it. And if you're wanting to be a part of it, we will welcome you guys with open arms. But let's go ahead and get into our interview with Rick Bennell. All right, we wanted to welcome the Charlotte Hornets reporter for the Observer, Rick Bennell. You can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell and visit charlotteobserver.com to read his articles online. Rick is the real veteran when it comes to covering this Hornets team as he's been on the beat since the organization's inception back in 1988. Rick, thanks for joining BuzzBeat and how does it feel that the regular season is back but uh, the Hornets are sitting at home? Well, I will tell you that it's it, fun that at 1.30 in the afternoon I can turn on my television on a day off and be watching the, the Heat and the Raptors play. Um, you know, it's funny. It's kind of, in a lot of different ways, it reminds me more of the NCAA tournament than it does of the NBA, you know, the NBA playoffs. Um, and I think that people are going to kind of like that. You know, I will tell you off the top of my head, 
um, and I mentioned this to Steve Ashburn and my friend from NBA.com months ago, I think the most interesting thing we're going to learn from this is whether home court advantage, which had always been perceived as this really big deal, whether it actually matters. Because the idea that this this whole thing is going to be run at, at, at a neutral site, I, I find that really interesting. All right, Rick, let's talk about the Hornets and not necessarily the NBA as a whole. And let's actually take this back about 10 months ago, uh, back in the the preseason expectations days uh, when the Hornets were not expected to win a ton. Um, I think a lot of projections had maybe 23 wins out of Vegas, which they did achieve uh, just in a shortened season. And we all know that player development was this key buzzword uh, with this team as playoffs were really never a realistic outcome for this team. I'll say that when you look at this this season, there's a lot of things that you have to like about James Borrego and how he's molded this young team, especially when it comes to shot profile, taking almost 76% uh, of the field goal attempts from three or at the rim. So my question to you, Rick, is what has been your overall takeaway with James Borrego and how he's handled this kind of shift post-Kimba? You know, um, in September... I went out to lunch with Borrego and Kupchak to really talk for about an hour and a half before training camp started. And he laid out in striking detail exactly what he intended to do. Um, There was that quote um, about how he didn't view it as his job to worry about contracts or salaries or where people were drafted. He also said that he, you know, in all close calls, he was going to go in the direction of youth, but he also made it very clear that he was not going to create, you know, what I would call an intramural situation where people didn't, get, you know, have to earn their minutes where veterans would feel, you know, marginalized. He really pulled that off. Um, he and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago on the phone where I said, you know, I, I was confident that that was the right thing for you to do but I had no confidence whatsoever that you were going to pull it off. And he laughed and he said, why? And he said, I said, because you had to convince all those veterans to trust you enough that you were doing something right. And that you weren't just going to, you know, screw them and be arbitrary. And he did those things. You know, I think one of the really interesting things as far as um, JB is a, as a people manager, you know, forget coaching for a minute is that two of, Two of his biggest advocates in that locker room were Marvin Williams and Nick Batum. Huh. The two people who you could argue um, were most de-emphasized by this shift to youth. And they completely believed in him. And when I asked them, I said, you know, why are you guys so comfortable with all this? They both said the same thing because he was so transparent about it that they never felt like, you know, what they were hearing you know, from his face was different than what he was actually doing. And that's a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, um, let me tell you a little about JB's background. Um, he got his master's in leadership studies, um, out in San Diego. And, you know, you wonder what leadership studies is. He is really good at understanding how to manage people. I, I did a long story with his mother, you know, who, who raised him as a single and his, and his sister as a single mom. And at the absolute end of a, probably an hour long interview, I asked Lydia, 
is there anything that I have failed to ask you that's important for me to know about your son? And she said, he's the best listener you will ever encounter. And now I get that because if he asks somebody a question, he does, he doesn't do things for appearances. He's really sincerely interested in what you think. If he takes the, if he takes the time to ask you a question. It, it really does seem like, like Charlotte uh, knocked it out the park, uh, you know, hiring James Borrego to, 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 to run, to run things in, in uh, Queen city and, We've already seen him sort of uh, had to change his profile as a coach, going from sort of a win now mode with with Kemba to uh, to rebuild and player development. It is a really it's a really cool point about a guys like Marvin and, and Nick Batum that have been in the league both for over a decade and had who knows how many coaches to for the, both those guys to sort of buy in and and speak up on JB's behalf is really cool. And that's sort of like the other half of the youth movement coin um, is that the the veterans have to be sort of like willing. Um, And that's great to hear. But I think one of the, probably one of the best success stories, maybe of the entire league, but also certainly of like the Hornets player development initiative was Devontae Graham this year. Um, I know everyone associated with the Hornets has talked about Devontae a lot the last nine months or so, but you recently wrote about DG not needing, the, you know, perhaps the most improved player trophy to validate um, just how good he's been this season. Um, you know, it's, it's, it seems unlikely he's going to win the award, whether it be Bam Adebayo or, or Brandon Ingram, perhaps. But um, what impressed you so much about Devontae this season? Two-part question here. What impressed you so much about Devontae this season and as someone that's been on the beat with this franchise, how or, you know, what subtle ways two seasons ago did Kemba Walker perhaps aid in Devontae Graham's um, development? I have always been very attracted to smart people. Um, I, I've seen so many um, really talented basketball players who just didn't have the, the smarts and the maturity to use their talent very well. And, you could tell, I mean, like long before anybody, you know, long before there was any idea that Devontae, you know, would, would end up anytime soon in this rotation, much less be a starter. It was obvious last season that he had an intellectual curiosity and he was a real grown up in a way that a lot of rookies aren't in these days when, you know, when people are turning, you know, pro at 19. Um, he, you know, he did all four years at Kansas, remember, after a post-grad year to prep school to get out of his obligation at Appalachian State. Um, He was thrown in with an all-NBA point guard who was backed up by a future Hall of Famer. And some people accept that kind of gift of faith, and some people don't. And he was terrific last season at sponging up anything that both Kemba and Tony, and and maybe to a larger degree, Tony, um, could teach him. And then they'd send him up to Greensboro for a few weeks, and he'd have the playing time and latitude to sort of experiment with the things that he was, um, the feedback he was getting, and he was always fine-tuning. And, guys, I was was totally shocked that he was such a force this season. Mm Mm-hmm. But that didn't mean that I was, you know, surprised if that, if, if, if he was going to improve that much in that sort of amount of time, I knew why it was. Because you're talking about a guy who, whether he was a basketball player or a, 
a financial planner or an engineer, um, he's a smart guy who applies himself. Yeah, and I think you know, he improved a ton this season, and I mean, he still has a ways to go. I had this conversation, I think, with BG and Spencer about maybe just having Tony Parker here to help him with the floater game. I think that's one aspect of Devontae's <laughs> game that uh, still needs to improve a little bit here. And it's it's clear too that that Kemba and, and Devontae built up a pretty good rapport because if I'm seeing things correctly on social media, Devontae Graham house sitting or at least staying at Kemba Walker's house in Charlotte uh, right now while Kemba's in the bubble, which is also pretty uh, pretty cool too, I feel like. Support for BuzzBeat is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Listen, grooming below the belt shouldn't be taken lightly. You can't afford to nick yourself in the most sensitive parts. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. I have the Lawnmower 2.0, but they have come out with the new and improved and just released Lawnmower 3.0. Not only does the Lawnmower reduce manscaping accidents, it has a battery that lasts 90 minutes. It's also water resistant if you prefer it in the shower. Plus, Manscaped has an upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Sorry, Richie, but I actually just received the newly released Lawnmower 3.0, and it's amazing. It's the Steph Curry of uh, trimmer technology, I guess. Uh, between the safety features and its convenient charging dock, I want all of our listeners to experience it firsthand. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BUZZ at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code B-U-Z-Z at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUZZ. All right, Rick, shifting to Miles Bridges here. He averaged 13 points, 5.6 rebounds, and 1.8 assists this past season. I feel like he had plenty of highs this season, but to me, he still has a ways to go in developing his awareness on the defensive side of the court and his on-ball ability on the offensive side. All the conversation that surrounds this guy in his second year, it seems like there's a lot of mixed feelings and even maybe some disappointment him not making that big of jump in the second season. So my question to you is this, do you have any feel of where the Hornets are with Bridges and do they have any kind of level of trepidation, if any? I think the issue is somewhat circumstantial and here's how I mean that. Um, If you look at this series of events over the last 13 months, um, before they thought that PJ Washington was going to be you know, it was, was going to be a factor right away. They announced, um, as a matter of fact, simultaneously to the day that they announced that um, PJ's leg was still bothering him enough that they weren't going to try. You know, they weren't going to try to play him in summer league. Um, JB dropped on us um, at a summer league practice that his intention was to move Miles from primarily playing small forward to pri- primarily playing power forward. That didn't surprise me at all because, you know, guys, when you cover the NBA on a regular basis, you, you, what you learn is that advanced scouts are the, are the best people in the league to sort of guide you through what's going on. You know, they're, they're there all the time. They're interested in what you know. You're, they're, they're 
open about what they know. And I heard again and again and again during Miles' rookie season that he was miscast, that he is a small ball power forward, that he's not really a three, that you, if, you're, if, 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 if you make him be primarily a three, you're doing a disservice to your team and to him. And that was JB's intention. And then, frankly, PJ was so good so fast mm-hmm. that it went back to the way it was. Um, so Miles simultaneously went, you know, you know, for about ten minutes was a power forward, then went back to being a small forward, and suddenly was being asked to guard primary scores constantly. I mean, <laughs> I remember that first road trip. You know, he, he guarded LeBron and Kawhi and back to back. Yeah, I remember that too. Early October. It was it was rough and it was unpleasant. And he was trying to be a good soldier. But here's something that is going to be a subplot of this team until it's not. Are those two people complimentary or are they redundant? Because I got to tell you, I have a difficult time imagining if you have to choose between those two, choosing Miles over PJ. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and prop bets, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players, Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code BUZZ or DealDash.fm backslash BUZZ. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash BUZZ. Yeah, but PJ was just so 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 darn good this season, and and yeah, like there's maybe next season there'll be more ways to find you know PJ minutes at the five while while Miles is playing the four, but you know uh, PJ is you know he's playing the four, you know minutes with him at the five are going to be stuff to close out a half or a couple minutes a half or something like that. But um, this is a good segue actually. Um, I think one of the best things about PJ Washington's game is sort of how malleable he is on offense. He can spread he can you know he can post up rim run pick and pop he can pass play make in space dho he, even he ran some pick and roll this season as well too he's sort of ideal uh in a, in a modern forward way in terms of those concepts but thinking about the center position here 
Um, look, some of the most efficient offensive lineups Charlotte had this season were, were when they were able to play PJ and Marvin Williams together and have Marvin space out above the break or to the corner and open up the rim for PJ to run or throw catch lobs and, and PJ can catch a lob and, and finish it too. As far as Charlotte is concerned and is you know the roster and team building going forward, do they have do you think they have any could you gauge sort of their interest in trying to find a like a stretch five? someone to pair with PJ, someone that would be able to open the floor offensively while also, you know, guarding centers and being the the sort of like the main rim protector defensively. I think if they're going to invest in, in a, in a center kind of player and, you know, as we all know, you know, there's an awful lot of talk these days about people being positionless and all that. But what I'm getting at is if they're going to bring in another big, they're worried about the fact that they have a complete inability right now to guard the rim. Uh-huh. And I think that anybody, you know, whether, whether it's drafting somebody or whether it's just as likely, by the way, um, like a kind of a mid-level, not terribly expensive, not terribly long-term uh, free agent signing, that mm. guy is going to be a rim protector. I would, if, he, if, he, if he doesn't yeah. contribute anything in that way, then I can't imagine why they're doing it. Yeah, maybe Jakob Pertl on the free agent market. He's, he's very good at, at protecting the rim. Uh, we have Rick Bennell here of the Charlotte Observer. Another young player that has to be mentioned is Malik Monk. His play this season, especially towards the end of his run prior to that drug suspension, was promising. In the nine games in February, he was averaging close to 17 points, four rebounds, 2.2 assists, and he shot 17 of 44 from distance. And he continued to show his aggressiveness in attacking the rim. He has been a little bit inconsistent uh, in terms of his play in the three seasons with Charlotte, but it just feels like there's more to uncover with this guy in terms of maybe his ceiling not being reached yet. It feels like he, out of anyone on this team, maybe has the highest ceiling. He just hasn't you know, performed enough consistently to reach that. So Monk is eligible for an extension this offseason and can get it signed prior to the 2021 season. You know, With his up and down play, with his suspension, I, I want you to Put yourself in the shoes of Mitch Kupchak, and what would you do with Malik Monk? Would you offer him an extension this summer? Would you just let him play out next season and take your chances in free agency? Would you entertain trade offers? How would you handle Monk moving forward? I would. Um, what I would do is I'd sit down with Malik behind closed doors and say, quite frankly, and if this hasn't already happened, it would surprise me. Hey, Malik. Here's the deal with having been a lottery pick. It's not a lifetime achievement award. You have, you have shown some signs, but mostly you've been a disappointment. And you have one season left on your rookie scale contract. Um, you're going to make $5 million next season. After that, you're going to be a restricted free agent, or maybe if you aren't very good this season, you won't even be a restricted free agent. You'll be an unrestricted free agent. He is playing for all 30 teams in the league next season. And he has, he has to, to overcome, you know, a reputation. You know, the drug suspension is the last of several things that, you know, that, that people have noticed. You know, like choosing not to play in summer league when, you know, when, when, when mm-hmm. even his own teammates, much less his coaches, were lobbying for him to do something that seems very sensible. Um Malik needs to understand that the that the pressure is on him, not on the Hornets, to make this work. And like I said, you know, there's a half life on being a lottery pick, 
it doesn't matter anymore when he was drafted. Speaking of the draft, we can use this as uh, another segue to the first ever October draft uh, in NBA <laughs> history that we uh, have coming up in the, the longest year uh, in known human existence. Um, look, we never know the full inner workings of draft night, um, but with Cupcheck at the helm, Charlotte's done pretty well. I, I think everyone can say with a, with a high degree of confidence, the 2019 draft for the franchise was a success. Um, they found several good players, good prospects in that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's really a feather in the cap of, of the, of the front office uh, going forward. Um, but look, this is an unprecedented draft process now in 2020, um, you know, four months delayed, maybe there'll be a combine, maybe not even that that's delayed several months as well too. no private workouts. You know, guys are just able to do zoom interviews, watch tape, check numbers, et cetera. But to your knowledge, do you like, is Charlotte interested in targeting a specific position or skill set? Or are they just sort of looking best player available? What are they sort of hoping to, to add and to, to, to use to, to buffer their roster for, for next season? Do you think? I thought the most interesting thing that Mitch said in those, uh, in that, in that zoom conference call with media, after the season was declared over was when somebody asked him what he considered the greatest need. And Mitch said, talent, you know, position aside. I mean, he basically said that they aren't anywhere near good enough to perceive themselves as being picky about Mm -hmm. what position they address first. Um, You know, it's funny because some people seem to view that as him ducking a question. And I saw it as exactly the opposite. I saw it as, you know, stunningly, you know, blunt as far as an indictment of how far they are away. And I don't think he's wrong. Um, the, the way I mean that is, you know, you know, seemingly they don't need a point guard, but you know something, if let's say they pick eight or wherever they pick, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying is if the, if Mitch thinks that the best, clearly the best player is the position where they're already the deepest, I have no doubt whatsoever that that's who he picks. He doesn't give a damn about um, roster balance right now, nor should he. They mm-hmm. need to have this out. And let's face it, guys. You know, if you if you want to summarize the reality of the Charlotte Hornets right now, it is the following: um, Is there anybody on this roster, no matter who he is, no matter how young he is, no matter how old he is, no matter what position he plays? Is there anybody on this roster who you have confidence is good enough to be the best player on a team that gets to the second or third round of the playoffs? And no. I don't know the any answer to that question right now, and yeah. that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think you can answer that question um, confidently by saying yes. I, w- I wouldn't say yes either. So, you know, talking about the NBA draft and just two days later after the October 16th draft, free agency comes around. And a lot's going to depend on the 2021 salary cap, but the Hornets should have north of $20 million in space this offseason. Uh, Cupcheck in his end-of-season press conference hinted that the Hornets won't be overly active 
in free agency, which is likely the smart decision here. Having said that, we all know Michael Jordan loves to win, loves to compete, and sitting on his hands in these types of situations doesn't seem something that he's used to. So, Rick, do you think that the, you know, what do you think the overall attitude from the front office is, including MJ, in terms of having this much money uh, heading into the to the offseason here? Do you think they can resist spending the money uh, when the team finally has some flexibility here? Yes, because it's a really crappy time to spend money, and they've demonstrated that when they they let money burn the hole or burn a hole in their pocket, they get in trouble, guys. Um, it's a bad free agent class. Everybody tells me that, and I don't. I don't just mean people who you know have an agenda. I mean you know friends who have worked in the league for twenty five years say to me all the time, "You just don't want to. You don't want to to, to um, see having a bunch of cap room this summer is something that." you know, that the guide you, um, remember they, uh, they have that much more flexibility in 2021 after, uh, after Nick and Cody Zeller's money comes off the cap. Um, here's where I think that the cap room, um, provides an intriguing, um, opportunity. They're going to have less cap room than they were going to have before the pandemic. But I'm wondering if what cap room they still will have, may be more valuable. Um, we don't know ultimately how the collective bargaining agreement is going to be rewritten. It's going to have to be rewritten at least a little bit. Um, I don't think that the league is going to put people in a position where 25 teams are in danger of being the luxury tax. Mm -hmm. But I also think that they're just going to come up with some arbitrary, you know, number that simply ignores the economic realities. Um, if you are, you know, Bob Bass taught me this a long time ago, that if you are the only team with cap room at the trade deadline, the whole league runs for you. <laughs> Your phone rings again and again and again because people desperately want to get out of cap jail, except now it's called luxury tax jail. Um, if I'm Mitch and I, you know, maybe six, eight months ago, I was hoping that I could let somebody park a, 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 a bad contract on, you know, on my, uh, you know, on my payroll for a year in return for what looks like a good second round pick. Now I might be able to say to people, yeah, I want a first round pick and I want a pick with no protection. Right. Right, definitely. I mean, we have to consider the revenue drop that's that's going to be happening here and how that's going to affect all these teams around the league. And you mentioned the Hornets have some expiring contracts with Nick Batum and and Cody Zeller. Do you think the Hornets? I mean, let me let me pose it this way: Do you think the Hornets are more likely to trade Cody Zeller, or are you think they're more likely to just let his contract run off the books and just clear cap space for twenty twenty one? I don't know if I could give you a percentage of the likelihood that Cody is traded, but I would say this. I think it's more likely that Cody ends up getting traded than that Nick does. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but I mean, I'm going to just to explain that because I'm not sure people understand um, the the risk involved in, you know, trading Nick's expiring contract for something could be not worth the trouble. Because um, mm. I don't think that people are going to fall over themselves to acquire the last season on Nick's contract. And in order to, you know, make a contract that large, you know, work under, you know, under the book, mm -hmm. you might have to take back something that really just, you know, means you're, 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 um, exchanging one house before the other. On the other hand, I think that, I think that Cody 
to a contender in need of, you know, somebody who might be a part-time starter, but or be or be a really impactful reserve. And he demonstrated this. You know, he's made it very clear that he's not hung up with starting. I think that that is the kind of guy who, if you think, you know, this is, you know, I, I, I'm not talking about the way the Thunder is roster is constructed. I'm more talking about sort of where they are. You know, I'm saying is a team like the Grizzlies or the or the Thunder who think mm-hmm. that they're, you know good enough next season that maybe they can you know, have home court in the first round. I would think those teams would be interested in giving you some, you know, some sort of a draft asset and not make you take back something awful in return to have Cody Zeller as big man insurance. Yeah. And Cody's Cody's contract number is just so it's such a good number to move right about 15 and a half for next season. It's just, fits if it's it's so easy to fit that into a variety of, of trade scenarios and a week or two ago we ran through some some hypothetical trade cody cody zeller trade possibilities but um uh moving moving south to the uh, the bubble in orlando look it's really it's pretty obvious it's it's created a, a serious opportunity for some young developing teams that aren't quite in playoff contention you think about a team I think most notably like Phoenix, you see DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Michael Bridges has been phenomenal uh, in the exhibition games and in the seeding games uh, so far down in, down in Orlando. Um, Charlotte, on the other hand, has a roster full of young players um, and they're staring down potentially eight to nine months, uh, you know, without being able to hold a team related on court activity. So Rick, does the league have a responsibility to help these elite eight teams not invited to Orlando by providing them a way to develop, uh, you know, their young talent with team related activities uh, prior to the off season, or maybe even starting uh, the 2020, 2021 season earlier. The league feels that responsibility, but I want you to keep something in mind because it's really important to this issue. Um, the, the league cannot unilaterally allow the Hornets and the other seven teams to, to practice as a group or to scrimmage mm-hmm. with each other. Um, that, that, that's a, you know, that, that's a CBA issue. The union has to sign off on it. And understandably, and you know, I'm saying, I don't think he's a bad person in doing this. Michelle Roberts, the union head is very, you know, is, you know, is, is very wary of, you know, giving teams latitude that could create, you know, whole new issues with coronavirus. Um, the yeah. latest report, the latest information I have, and I reported this out about a week and a half ago now, is that um, the union has softened to some degree its stance about allowing individual teams not in Orlando to do some practicing as a group in home markets. Um, the league would like that plan to include potentially some scrimmages between teams. I think that that the idea that's been proposed is setting up two locations for that to happen. I will tell you that I got the impression that, that people are in all likelihood teams will be allowed to practice. Um, getting the union to sign off on scrimmages is a much bigger ask and it's far less likely that happens. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I, I figured the, uh, the information about the Chicago bubble was never going to happen. Uh, that, that information kind of came out prematurely, but, uh, I, I think we just need to see this Hornets team playing some kind of organizational practices, training camps with a team. Uh, I know that safety is a concern with COVID and everything going on, but, uh, it does seem like some, 
opportunities are lost here with this young Charlotte Hornets team. So we actually had uh, Seku Smith on our pod last week, and this is the last question we have for you, Rick. We asked okay. him the same question. Okay, so don't don't think too hard about it. When we say Charlotte Hornets, who was the first player, you know, throughout all the years that comes to mind? Alonzo Mourning, because he's the Hall of Famer. Okay. Mm. So, Se- that's a good answer. Seku Se- went answer. with uh, Larry Johnson. I, I feel like I, I think of Larry Johnson or Muggsy for me. That's just always the first one that, that kind of pops into my mind. But definitely Alonzo Mourning is up there, especially with his uh, game-winning shot back in 1993 uh, to get that first-ever playoff mm. victory. All right, Rick, uh, we wanted to thank you again for your time, uh, and we hope you have a, a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.